Amen. Thank you. Thank you for leading us, guys. <clears throat> All right. So we are starting a new series this week, just a short one, three weeks, uh, on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And this week is expectations, how not to do it, how not to do Thanksgiving, how not to give thanks. And we're not talking about the holiday Thanksgiving, even though we are close to that. We're talking about the act of giving thanks. The act of giving thanks, the act of being grateful, the act of praise, they're all synonymous. In, in Scripture, praise and thanksgiving are practically synonymous. They are different words, but they, the concepts of the two are used interchangeably. So we're talking about being grateful, the act of giving thanks, praise, however you want to put it. And we're going to talk about that concept from three different angles. This week is expectation, how not to do it. Next week is the essentials of Thanksgiving, and then the next week, the last week that we'll talk about this subject, which will be the Sunday before Thanksgiving, is the effects of Thanksgiving, the effects of praise in our life. So many of you know uh, that Thanksgiving is my personal favorite holiday. I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite time of year. It is my favorite holiday. There are many reasons why it is my favorite holiday, uh, but to succinctly put it, you can put it down to three words, family, food, and football. That's pretty good right there. That's a pretty good holiday. I don't care what you say. Uh, so Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I, I always perk up this time of year. I, I love this time of year. I love Christmas too, uh, but the, the difference in Thanksgiving and Christmas to me as far as the celebration part of it, not what they stand for. Obviously, Jesus being born is a big deal to me. Uh, but as far as just the, 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 the celebration, the rituals, the acts that we go through, Thanksgiving has all the good stuff that Christmas has and none of the problems that Christmas has. None of the hustle and bustle, none of the presents, none of that stuff. So I just, I just love this part. Uh, but we're not talking about the holiday. We're talking about the actual uh, act of giving thanks. So we're going to add one more word to that today. Okay? I love Thanksgiving for, for family, for food, for football. But today it's about faith. Okay? So how faith impacts our thanksgiving, our act of giving praise, our act of giving thanks. So we're talking about how faith impacts thanksgiving, and we'll be in Luke 17 uh, looking at that today, that, that concept. So the underlying current, the underlying theme, the thing that's being talked about the whole time during this section of Luke that we're looking at, which is the majority of chapter seven, we'll get, 17 we'll get to today, uh, is faith. So the things that Jesus is talking about is the concept of faith, and he's talking it out in some different ways uh, and showing it in some different ways in the way that he's going through this. So he's talking about faith today, which is your trust and your hope in action. I mean, if you've heard me say that numerous times, if you're a student, you've heard me say that a million times. Trust and hope in action is what faith is. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not a sentiment. Thank faith is not, is not knowledge in your head. Faith is your trust and your hope in action, and God loves faith. So that's what we're looking at today. When we're thinking about Thanksgiving, think about Jesus is talking about the concept of faith this whole time. So the first little bit we get into is not really dealing much with Thanksgiving. That's why I want you to understand that. But the whole section goes together, and it makes sense if it's all together. I think it makes sense better. So uh, looking at Luke chapter 17, starting right there in verse 1. He said to his disciples, Offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It will be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repeats, if he, excuse me, if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins again against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must 
forgive him. So Jesus starts off talking about sin. Of course, they've just dealt with the Pharisees as they're getting into this section, so sin's fresh on his mind. That's easy to say with the coming off the Pharisees. So he's saying, hey, sin is a serious thing with God. Jesus is making that point. Sin is a serious thing, and causing someone to sin is a very, very serious thing. What's going on with my thing? It's like going all crazy. What's happening, Tracy? She hear that? She said, I think you pushed a button. Just click off of it and click back on it, please. It's going to take me forever to get back where we were. That's, a, that's, how I, that's the respect you get around here. <laughs> yeah, that's all me. I agree. I'm going to hold this thing like this for the rest of the day. Okay. So sin is a serious thing, and causing someone to sin is a serious thing uh, with God. So that's what that's talking about there. And How serious, Jesus uses as an analogy, obviously, but how serious it would be better if you hung a millstone around your neck and jumped in the sea. In other words, it would be better to die than for you to cause someone to sin. Um, And Jesus is making a, a clear point here. Now, obviously, when he says that, and then when he says that you should forgive your brother seven times if he, if he sins against you in a day, that's asking a lot. Right? I mean, if you just step back and think about that. To never tempt someone to sin and to, and to have someone sin against you and then you forgive them. And they come back again later that day and again and again and again and again and again. The point Jesus is making is it's not humanly possible. That's clear. It's not humanly possible. It's not in our nature to do those two things. We cause people to sin all the time out of anger, out of jealousy, out of many different reasons. And it's very difficult to continue to forgive someone day after day, even more than one time in a day. So that's what's taking place here. And the, the thing is, is what do, the, what do the disciples say when Jesus says this? How do they respond? Do they say, wow, how loving to do that to someone. How loving to continually forgive them. Help us be more loving, Jesus. Help us be more loving. Is that their response? Verse 5, what is their response in verse 5? We're going to get to it here real quick. One, two, three, four, five. I'm pushing the button. One more. Should know it's going to be one of those days. I could tell. I could tell when I walked in this morning it was going to be one of those days. There we go. Woohoo! The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith, not increase our love, not increase our capacity to forgive. They said, wow, God, this is a big ask. This is a big ask that you're asking of us. It's a big ask. Increase our faith, Lord. Increase our faith. Give us more faith. Make our our faith like yours, God. Make our faith like yours, Jesus. Obviously, you had this humongous amount of faith to be able to do this. They recognized that living like this was not possible through human means but the response that jesus gives them is key jesus gives them response in verse six he says if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed the lord said you can see to this you can say to this mulberry tree be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you jesus says you don't need more faith you just need real faith you don't need more faith you just need real faith Tony Evans says it this way, don't be concerned with how big your faith is, be concerned with how big the object of your faith is. Be concerned with how big the object of your faith is. You don't need more faith, 
You just need real faith, genuine faith, trust and hope in action in the correct thing, which would be the God of the heavens and the earth. So, making sure the disciples uh, didn't try and take up gardening for their faith, because he says, hey, if you pick up this mulberry tree and throw it, it'll do it. So they didn't miss the point. He continues down that same path of thought, talking about having genuine faith. And he continues there in verse 7, says, Which one of you, having a servant tending sheep or plowing, will say to him when he comes in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat. Instead, will he not tell him, Prepare something for me to eat. Get ready and serve me while I eat and drink. Later, you can eat and drink. Does he thank this, that servant because he did what was commanded? Again, verse 9, Does he thank that servant because he did what was commanded? In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Jesus says, supposedly, your English may say, or he just jumps into it. The, the, the Greek is like, we would say nowadays, like, can you imagine? Can you imagine if your servant had been working all day and then came in? Can you imagine? So wonderful you to have gone out and done your job today. What master would say that to a servant? What master would say that to a slave? It's just so great that you did your job. We're so thankful that you went out there and worked today. So awesome of you. You did your job. Way to go. Way to go. It reminds me of a story my dad told, and many of you know my dad. And uh, as his, uh, he, worked, he still works for a company called Vertex. They've changed over several times. They got taken over by this big corporation one time, and they just started making things more corporate. This is uh, a welder and a fielder, and a fitter. These type of guys aren't really keen on being corporatized, or whatever the word would be. I don't know. And so they start having these meetings, right? And they're going to have these big corporate powwows every morning. So all the welders and fitters in the company are going to get together and, and kind of have a, a corporate pep rally, so to speak. And of course, my dad's called, and he's bleeding off to me about it. And he's like, you know, this is ridiculous. He said, I don't need a corporate pep rally for me to do my job. I'm going to show up and do my job because it's my job. Right? It's that concept, that mindset, is what Jesus is talking about here. You, do you expect special favors because you're just doing your job? So, so I ask you, I ask you today, do you expect praise and thanksgiving for doing what you were supposed to do? Do you expect praise and thanksgiving for doing your job? Are, are you allowing feelings of being unappreciated turn you bitter? Do, do, you, do you serve and do things for people expecting their gratitude? When you do something nice for someone, do you expect their gratitude? And are you disappointed when you don't get it? Because Jesus says right here, you're just doing what you're supposed to do. Just put your head down and do your job. Do your job. Just do your job. You shouldn't have to be patted on the back and attaboyed all the way towards doing your job. Now, quick side note, I'm not saying that someone shouldn't have gratitude for what you're doing. It's not what I'm saying. We're not talking about that today, though. That's next week, okay? What I'm saying is, do you expect that to happen? Is that an expectation of yours? Are you, are you turning bitter and unhappy? Are you allowing a relationship to be ruined because you continually do things with the motivation of getting their gratitude back when you do things? Because Jesus says that you really shouldn't do that. Now think about what you're doing when you do that. You're basing your attitude 
and your happiness on how someone else responds to a situation. You're literally giving someone else control over your life when you do that. When you, when, the, when you do something nice, and for you to feel good about it, and for you to feel accomplished about it, someone has to come back to you and say, thank you, what a great job, I'm so thankful that you did that. And they don't, and you're upset about it, you have given them the control over whether or not your attitude and your heart is in the right place. We don't, we don't serve God out of a bitter duty because we have to. And we don't serve God so we can get human trophies and attaboys for doing it. Okay? That's the two extremes of what we're talking about. One is, I know I have to, this is my duty. I have to do this, and I do it, but I ain't really happy about it. Okay? We have a word for that. It's called religion. And that's not what it's about. I have to do it. I'm here. I'm here today because I'm supposed to be here in church. I don't really want to be here in church. I'm just here. Because God says we have to show up and, you know, maybe somehow things will turn out better in my life if I show up at church. That's not the attitude that we approach serving God with. And at the same time, we don't approach it with, every time I do something good for God, He's going to give me a big trophy for it. He's going to open up the heavens and scream out, Wow, I'm so pleased with you. Thank you so much for taking out the trash at the church. Right? That was a phenomenal act of service. No, it was a faithful act of service. It was the job that you were, had to do. It was, it's a great thing to do. But God shouldn't have to open up the heavens and give us an attaboy every time that we're doing something right. See, you've heard this said so many times in church. Following Jesus is not a, is not a religion. It's a relationship. Let me give you an example of what that is. The religion is, I'm coming because I have to, but the entire time I'm here, I'm actually somewhere else. I'm here physically, but my heart's on the golf course. I'm here physically, but my heart's in the deer stand. I'm here physically, but my heart's on the basketball court. I'm here physically, but I would rather be doing anything else than doing something for God. That's religion, and that's dead, and that's not what God calls us to. But at the same time, we shouldn't be sitting back expecting God to throw a party every time we do simply what we should do. Now, Here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. God says that that, that concept of master and slave and the, and the master being so happy that you did your job, he said that's foolish, right? He said, can you imagine a master doing this? And of course, they would, probably would have been like, this is ridiculous. No one would ever do that. Here's the cool part, though. Our master is actually going to do that. <laughs> In the end, he actually is going to show his gratitude. He actually is going to reward us for living a faithful life. It may or may not happen on a daily basis, but it actually is going to happen for eternity, which is very motivating. So we should serve with a sincere heart. How do you be in the, in the right lane of serving without expecting gratitude from other believers, from other people, or from God? Ephesians 6.6 6 puts it this way. It's up there on the screen. It says, Obey not only to win their favor when their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Don't do it just because it's the right thing to do, but do it with the right heart as a slave of Jesus because he did the same things for us. And then Luke continues telling us in the next verses in verse 11 uh, how Jesus continued explaining this concept. He says, while 
We're in Luke 17, 11. While traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, what are they asking for when they say that? Ten men with leprosy have Jesus coming through their town, and they scream out, Master, have mercy on us. They have leprosy, something that we don't really deal with or see nowadays. But for those of you that has ever, ever seen psoriasis or had a battle with really dry skin, that's kind of it's like a really, really extreme psoriasis is what true leprosy is like. It's very infectious, uh, and in biblical times, it was a very, very big deal. It would almost be kind of similar to what we have going on right now. Right? We even joked with my sister when she had it back in October. We were like, ah, don't get close to the leper. Don't get close to the leper. This was like three weeks after she had had it. She didn't think that was very funny. Um, So what are they asking for? When they're asking Jesus to do something about their leprosy, what are they asking for? They're asking for a miracle. That's literally what was considered healing of leprosy was a miracle. There was no ointment to put on it. There was no drug to take. There was no understanding of leprosy whatsoever. It was just a curse and the only way it could be getting rid of was an act of God. Check out 2 Kings uh, chapter 5, verse 7. It says, As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, this is King Jeho- Jeho- Jehoram, King Jehoram says, As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? That's the concept. That's the mindset of leprosy. He says, Am I God? You send somebody for me to heal of leprosy? I'm like, God, I can't do that. I don't know why he has it, but I can't do anything about it. I'm not God. They were asking for a miracle. These ten lepers were hollering, screaming out, shouting to the Lord, Lord, please do something. We're asking for a miracle. So what did Jesus do? Verse 14. It says, when he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. He saw them. And he told them, go and show yourself to the priest. And while they were going, they were cleansed. Why does Jesus say that? Why didn't Jesus go, okay, you're healed? Why did Jesus say, go and show yourself to the priest? What is that all about? It's the law. That's right. Next one, Tressie, please. Luke, or excuse me, Leviticus 13, 9 through 10 says, When anyone has a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to the priest. The priest is to examine them. They must be brought to the priest, and the priest is to examine them. So, for one, Jesus kept and fulfilled the law perfectly. And this is just another of thousands of examples of him doing that with his life. He kept and fulfilled the law perfectly. He did not sin. He is the personification of God's law because he is the incarnation of God. He's the God-man. So that's one reason. But understand that when Jesus said that, he was telling them, go see if you're healed. He was saying, if you'll do what I'm saying, I'm telling you, I'm sending you to them. They have leprosy. They know they have leprosy. For them to get up and go to the priests and be examined means that somehow, some way between right there and getting there, Jesus plans on healing me of this. I don't understand it, but I'm going to do it. Right? What do we call that? Call it faith. <laughs> That's faith. That's belief, hope, and trust in action. He, he asked them to exhibit their faith in him. So back to Luke 17. 
When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. When did they get cleansed? When Jesus said, you're cleansed? No, because he didn't say that. He said, go to the priests. And when did they get cleansed? When they went. When they went. While they were going, they were cleansed. When they exhibited their faith, they were cleansed. They had asked for a miracle. Jesus says, go get examined by the priests. And by them taking a step to the priests, they were saying that they believed they, that their hope and trust in action that Jesus was going to perform this miracle that they were asking for. This demonstrated their faith. It demonstrated their faith. And without faith, God cannot be pleased. So, Jesus has done this miraculous healing. And again, the times we're in right now makes it so much easier to understand leprosy. Right? The, the magnitude of leprosy. It's just like we're, what we're dealing with now. When you got sick, you were isolated. Right? You were, ooh, 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 you got cooties, stay away. People were scared of you. People thought something was wrong with you. People thought you had done something wrong, which is the wrong way to approach COVID, but it is the way people look at people. They think they've done something wrong. Like, oh, they must not have worn their mask month. Oh, they must be dirty. Oh, they must. That's the way they looked at leprosy. It was a big deal to be cleansed, cleansed of leprosy. It was, a, it was a huge deal to have it. It ruined your life. You were put outside the camp. You were not part of social life anymore. So Jesus has done this humongous thing in these ten guys' lives. So what do they do? They, they haven't had, think about this, they haven't had human contact for who knows how long. They haven't ha- had a handshake. They haven't had a hug from their wife, their husband, if they're young, their mom, their dad. They haven't had any human contact in how long. They haven't been allowed in the synagogue for worship in how long. You couldn't come to church if you had leprosy. You couldn't go to the synagogue and worship God together with other believers. This huge thing has been done in their life. What do they do? Of course, they immediately fall on their face, right? They fall on their face. Oh, God, you're amazing. Worship, praise, thanksgiving. Thank God. Thank you. Thank you. That's their response, right? Of course not. Why? Because this is a real story. And it's talking about real human beings just like you and me. So that's, of course, not what they do. Moving on in verse 15. It says, but one of them, one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. I love how Jesus throws us in there. And he's a dirty old Samaritan. You know, the ones that all you guys think aren't very good, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago, about how Jews and Samaritans, the, the distance between the two. And Jesus, I don't know, I think he... On the inside, he had to have been smiling when he said those words. And he was a Samaritan. Right? One. One person out of ten has literally just had their life changed miraculously forever. They've been given their life back. They were literally living dead because they couldn't live. They might as well have been dead. That's how it felt to have leprosy. And they have been healed, and they have been changed, and their life is back, and they can go hug their wife, and they can go hug their kids, and everything, they can go to church, they can worship God, they can sing songs with other believers. Everything has been restored. They can go back to work, they can make money, they can provide for their family. Everything has been restored. Everything has been changed. And one, one person out of the ten goes, 
oh, that was a miracle from God. Maybe I should go back and tell him thanks. Maybe I should say thank you. So tying that in with our first point. (laughs) If Jesus heals 10 people, miraculously changes their life, and he gets thanks from one out of 10, we think we're getting consistent gratitude from other human beings. We think we're getting consistent thankfulness from other human beings. Jesus can perform a miracle and change someone's life forever more, and he gets 10%, one out of 10, and he was the one that wasn't even supposed to know what to do. He wasn't a Jew. He was a Samaritan. Food for thought. You certainly shouldn't be expecting applauses and praise from anyone, should you? <laughs> if Jesus can only get one out of ten. Just file that one away. Moving on, Luke 17, verse 17. Then Jesus said, we're not ten cleansed? <laughs> I love this. I love this part how Jesus drives this point home. We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? Where are the nine? Hey, how about those nine other dudes? I'm sure y'all were together running to the priests waiting for this miracle to take place. didn't, Didn't I do a miracle for ten? Where Where are the nine? The nine, the nine aren't coming back? The nine don't show? Are they, are they slow? Were you just a fast runner? Where are the nine? I changed ten people's lives. I gave them what they asked for. I gave them the miracle they wanted. I gave them their life back. They were the living dead. Now they're alive again. Okay, it was ten, right? Was it ten, guys? I think it was ten. Where are the nine? Well, at least this Samaritan knows how to properly respond to God. <laughs> Gets that dig in there again, doesn't he? At least, this, at least this Samaritan knows how to treat me. At least, this, at least this Samaritan knows how to say thanks. Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Charles L. Brown suggests this for the nine. He says, well, one waited to see if, there was, if the cure was real. He says, keep going, Jesse. One waited to see if, the, if, the, if it would last. Right? These are the nine that got changed. One said he would see Jesus later. I'll catch up to him later. I'll tell him thanks later. I'll tell him thanks next week at church. One decided that he had never had leprosy. He must have just been confused. One said he, he would have gotten well anyway. Right? That's what we, I know I've done that before. Ah, I, probably, I, I was sick and I prayed for God to you know, make me feel better, but I'd have got better anyway. One gave glory to the priest. Obviously it was the priest. Right? Don't do that. Don't give me credit for something God does. Please, please don't do that. One said, oh, well, Jesus didn't really do anything. I mean, all he did was tell me to go to the priest. He didn't touch me or pray for me. I mean, he didn't really do anything anyway. You know, a Jesus guy. I'm not really sure about him. One said any rabbi could have done that. I just happened to ask Jesus. Could have been another rabbi, but it was, it was Jesus. One said, I was already much improved. So, you know, I mean, my, my leprosy had been getting better. I still didn't have anything to do with anybody. I still didn't have a lot. But, you know, I mean, that's what we do, isn't it? And then what we do, <laughs> ah, I'll catch up to you, God. Oh, God, I'm not really sure if that was actually you or not. I think maybe that was kind of my work ethic. I think it was, you know, it was, it was karma. It was karma. One of my least favorite words. It was karma. Whew. Isn't that us sometimes? 
It's us sometimes, isn't it? Here's the thing I can't help but wonder, and I know I'm meddling when I say this, but I'm, I'm not doing it out of spite, I promise. Here's the thing I can't help but wonder. I wonder if one of those nine that couldn't participate in life at all, right? This sickness they had, they couldn't participate in life at all. I wonder if after they were healed, they went back to their family, they went back to their job, they went back to their running around, they did just about everything that they normally would have. But I wonder if they still pretended like they had leprosy on the Sabbath when it was time to go to church. (laughs) I wonder if they just went right back to doing all their normal life except church. I can't help but wonder that. I would almost say that that's a certainty that one of them probably continued to use something as an excuse that maybe they didn't need to use it as an excuse anymore. Can't help but wonder that. So I'll come back to our two questions for today. Two questions. First one, do you expect praise and thanksgiving for doing what you're supposed to do? Do you expect praise and thanksgiving? For, when, you, when you do something for your kids, are you in a bad mood when they don't tell you thanks? Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't teach your kids to say thanks. That's one of the first things we teach them, isn't it? Somebody does something nice to them, the, the grandpa hands them a piece of candy, and they stand there and do this, and then what do we say? Say thank you, right? Because we know that expressing gratitude is important. But do you expect that? Is it, is it, is it shaping your heart? Is it shaping your attitude? Are you allowing other people to control how you live your life? Even something as simple as that. And I hope that these two questions, honestly, I hope they agitate your spirit just a little bit. I hope it digs down in there and, 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 and bothers you just a little bit, enough that we self-examine ourselves to see if this is in us at all. And then the second question is, when it comes to praise and thanking God, are you the one? Are you in the nine? I wonder about that. Which one are you in? God says it's a narrow gate, people that follow him, because it is not easy. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. In other words, there ain't going to be a whole lot of people going that direction. Are we, are we a church of the one? Are we a church of the nine? Are we a church that God blesses and then we just, we'll get back to you later, God. Ah. Uh, I got that bonus. God didn't have anything to do with that bonus. That's not why I was able to bless the church. It wasn't God's doing. I did that. Are, are, we, are we part of the nine? Do you want to be part of the one? Are you the one? Or are you the nine? Because I'm going to tell you this. And we'll finish with this. Last one, Tracy. This is how Jesus finishes this story. Or finishes this act and he told him get up and go on your way after he comes back and says thanks thanks praises and worships God get up and go on your way your faith has saved you your faith has saved you now catch that nine got a miracle but nine only got physically healed ten got a, a miracle of healing but only nine got physically healed one got saved 
All ten of them got the miracle. All ten of them got blessed. All ten of them got something they didn't deserve. But one got saved. One got healed physically and spiritually. One got healed now and forever. So again, I ask you that question because I think it's a pretty important one. Are you in the nine or are you the one? Have you ever given your trust, your hope in action to Jesus? Have you ever called out to him as Savior and Lord? Have you ever said, Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. Thank you that you love me enough to do that. I need you. If you've never done that, then today is the day to be one of the one and not one of the nine. And if you have done that, if you are one of the ones, but you just hadn't really acted like it as far as your gratitude you're giving back to God, if you haven't got on your face in a while and said, thank you, God. Thank you for saving a wretched sinner like me. Thank you, God, for the blessings that you have given me over and abundant blessings that I just, I've just gotten on the hamster wheel and I've just been doing life and I just hadn't stopped in a while and said, God, you are amazing. Thank you. Then I would ask you and challenge you to do that now, today, before you leave. Spend some time giving God thanks for the miracle that is salvation and for the blessing that is life. And be strengthened and know that in the end, we're rewarded for things that we don't deserve to be rewarded for. But in the daily grind, we shouldn't expect continuous applause and a praise. God's not sending angels around to praise you and clap for you every time you do something that you should just do anyway because God is worth it anyway. That's our questions for today. So we're going to sing one more song. And if you, if you want to make today the day of salvation, I'll be down here. If you want to spend this song with some concerted time to tell God thank you, that would be great too. The altar's open if you want to pray for that or for anything else. Uh, and if you would need someone to pray with you, I would be happy to do that. Dusty's here close, he'd be happy to do that. Stuart's here close, he'd be happy to do that. If you need someone to pray with you, please let that uh, take place during this song. God, we thank you and we love you. God, may we never, ever, ever get a hardened heart to the point that we forget to give you thanks for the things that you give us, God, for the unbelievable blessings that you give us on a daily basis. Lord, please let us not focus on what we don't have and focus on what we do have. Please let us not focus on what we don't get to do and focus on what we do get to do, God. Please help our hearts and our minds to focus on what matters and knowing that all the while, whether we hear it today or we don't hear it until the end of our life when we see you face to face, that there will be an eternal reward that is worth all the times that this world just looked us over and forgot to say thanks. God, we thank you and we love you for salvation this morning. And we pray that today is the day of salvation for someone. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.